You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. Welcome back, everybody, to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. I am your not-so-normal host, Jacoby Gaylord, and I'm here with Christian Babcock. How are you doing, Christian? Doing fantastic. Feels good and to be on the other side of this uh, co-hosting <laughs> event. This episode 152, by the way, I don't know if I've already said that, but today we're going to be doing something a little bit different other than me leading this thing off. Today we are going to try to have a little bit of a unique podcast that may or may not pan out, but we're going to give it a whirl anyways. Basically, this little I guess this story slash message has a meaning, I promise, but you just got to hold off and stick to it, or at least I think it has a meaning, but we're going to try it. This And we just figured this would be a fun little silly podcast to do before we kick off Dear Science Month, which is should be coming out after this podcast. Christy, you want to tell a little bit about that? Yeah, we're going to play a trailer for Dear Science Month at the end of the podcast, and you guys have to stick around to hear it, but... We brought on some of the most respected whitetail biologists from across the country, from the MSU Deer Lab in Bronson Strickland to Matt Ross at the NDA. Um, A lot of other folks, more PhDs than um, I've ever talked to in my life. They probably won't talk to us again, but we definitely tried (laughs) to speak to them. Um, And we're covering every sense of the whitetail biology. So we're covering hearing, sight, smell, taste, all of them and with the goal of making us better hunters by understanding more about whitetail biology. That's the goal of the series. It's going to be a month long. We're calling it deer science month. You guys have to wait till the end to hear the trailer though, but it's going to be pretty awesome. If I do say so myself. All right. So to try to kick this thing off and it's going to be a rough start guys, I promise. Basically what we're trying to do is we're going to compare how hunting is today versus how it was a few hundred years ago. And recently, I know me and my third grade reading level, and this is honestly a third grade reading level book. I read a book the other day, Christy. I don't know if you... Wow. Yeah, I know. First one since high school. (laughs) It really is. That's a sad thing. Not even high school, I don't think. But uh, it was called uh, Hatchet by, I think is... Who's the author? I want to say Paulson, but I don't think that's it. Uh, Dr. Seuss, maybe? No, no, no. I've read all his books. I already know. Hatchet, you said? Yeah, it's Hatchet. It's it, it's something Paulson. And I want to say Brian Paulson, but it's not Brian Paulson because... Gary Paulson. Be, Gary Paulson. Is that it? Yep. Okay, yeah. So it's Hatchet by Gary Paulson. In this book, it kind of made me think a, a little bit. I, I've read it before when I was probably like in middle school, and I remember it. I liked it, so I wanted to pick it back up. Anyways, it's about this boy who goes to visit his dad who lives in the Canadian, like somewhere North of Canada, like Northern Canada. And, uh, as he was flying there in this little biplane, the pilot has a heart attack and the plane goes down in the Canadian wilderness. And it kind of made me think like how the book went on about how, you know, like his, his first kill, uh, that got him food, like sustainable food, how much that meant to him and how it was so different from him just, you know, having dinner made 
for him that was sitting on the counter by his mom and stuff like that. Or DoorDash coming to your house. Right, exactly. (laughs) So that kind of made me like realize, you know, or at least think how we're overcomplicating things within the hunting world, right? And so with that being said, I kind of want to put ourselves in, I guess, Brian's shoes per se. Before you get into this, there is a show on Netflix that I thought about. It's called Alone. And basically the whole premise is they take 10 people. They take them to like, you're saying like a remote Canadian or Alaskan wilderness. They drop them off. The last person to leave wins. I've, and I, I think I seen Joe, uh, Joe Rogan interviewed the winner of that. Yeah. Jordan is his name. And it was so crazy to, it, it's just an incredible show. And you realize how mentally tough you think that you are. And then these people got on their show. It's like day one, these guys were like, probably last like 300 days or something. And then mm-hmm. there's just one guy that rolls his ankle and he's like, help, help. <laughs> <laughs> Is it still on Netflix? Dude, it's still on there. There's only I'm like one season it. on there, but it's, the version of hunting that they're doing on that show is so different. Like it is. the, 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 the version of hunting that we are having is, is, is barely hunting in, in its purest form. It's more like just assassination for a trophy in a lot of ways. And I don't know, you can't appreciate the, that pureness of hunting until you actually need it. You need the meat for a different kind of reason. So maybe I don't even appreciate it in its fullness, but I think this is a really cool concept. So this is going to be us talking about like if we went on the alone show without going on the show. That yeah, that's a lot better way to put it than than my book reference. Some but, Netflix uh, already, some Netflix guy already came up with this idea. Well, good for him. I just want a little bit of royalty. But anyways, to try to make this more fun, rather than just saying, oh, you know how bad we are as a hunting culture. Um, we're going to try to make this more fun. So just primal weapons only you get like one primal weapon, right? Like whether it be a spear, uh, a longbow, or whatever you want to just, just five items. And it could be a lighter. It could be a knife. What's your five items. If you were to think off the top of your head, I would suck with a spear. I know that. I'd end up like throwing it into a rock and breaking it or something. So mm-hmm. I definitely take a bow and arrow just because the, the, if it has to be a primal weapon, I want something with a little bit of range, like right. 30 yards is still going to probably be your max range, but I feel a lot better about getting to 30 yards than a spear distance. And I'm not going to be one of those guys like Tim, uh, what's his name? Tim, Tim Wells. Uh, yeah. Tim Wells. They, I'm not going to be sitting in a tree Slot waiting for master. something. Yeah. To come below me in spirit. So, I would probably definitely take a, a long bow. Uh, I, a lighter would be fantastic. Some sort okay. of a kindling would be would be great. Uh, some sort of bottle to hold water, whether that's a primitive bottle or what. Um, and I'm I mean, to think. you you can bring items, but just like your primary weapon has to be primitive. Okay, I definitely would bring some sort of purifier bottle for water just because i feel like the boiling water thing always gets people um they event eventually you see it on these shows where they're boiling water for the first few days and then at the, the end they get so dehydrated they're like i'll just they drink just it, drink I it. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've watched man versus wild i've watched bear grills i watched dual survival i love these kind of shows so mm-hmm. um that and then probably just probably some sort of fishing line or okay. a hook 
So, so how many be... items is that? I think you have like 13. No, nah, that was like five. I got a fishing set or just line. I can work with that. I got a primitive bow. You got a spool I've... of line. No hooks, right? Spool of line, primitive bow. I have a lighter. I have a purifying bottle. And then what else did I say? You said I some said... sort of kindling, but. Yeah, some fire starter. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What about you? So I would also stick with your primary because I was trying to trick you when I threw out spear because you'd be like, oh, yeah, spear. Well, the thing is, is if you had something sharp, you could make a spear, I think, pretty easily. So mm-hmm. um, it would just be a wood and you wouldn't have like any any point, I guess, unless you could tie a sharp rock onto it. But uh, yeah, I would say your same primary. I would bring a knife, like one of those big old like, not a machete, but one of those like big army knives, you know, that your, your dad used to store away or just anybody's random dad used to store away in like a gun cabinet or an old box that had like the compass on the back. Oh yeah. And all that stuff. One of those. So that's two. I would definitely bring a lighter a hundred percent. So that's three. And then I think I would bring a tarp, which would be four and then five. I, I would say a spool of fishing line too, because you could use that to tie stuff and also try to somewhat rig it into a fishing thing, possibly. So yeah, I think those would be my five. What about for water? What are you getting for water, old son? Oh dang! Yeah, I didn't. Nah, even you think can't take them back. No, nah, well, yeah, I, I I didn't even think about the pot. So all right, so we talked about the five things that you're going to bring, and I convinced you to. Did I convince you to bring a water bottle or no? You convinced me to replace a pot with what do I want to replace a pot with though. I'm going to say replace a pot with the tarp. Okay. Fair play. So what's the, let's say you, you hit the Canadian wilderness, your pl- plane crashes like your book or have a, whatever scenario I want to play out here. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing you're going to look for? Shelter fire food what are you going for water uh i don't know so i know your body can now this is just dumb dumb bro science i know your body can live longer without food than without water but to have the fresh drinking water without puking your guts up and pooping yourself you need clean water so with that being said it kind of leaves a predicament right like because part of you wants to get a lay of the land and it also depends on like like what your goal is right if your plane crashed you probably want to stay around the crash site if you're just dropped off for the show let let's just go with that scenario like dropped off in a show so i would think my first thing would try to take a brief walk depending on what time of day you're dropped off a brief walk around the area just get a kind of a quick lay of the land right and kind of see what you're working with because if you try to just as soon as you get dropped off, okay, let's make a shelter. Well, that shelter could be at a very uh, inefficient, like I guess, location. Yeah. So I would, I would go off. I would make a lay of the land, trying to get like, you know, where could I possibly get food? Where could I possibly get water? And then base my shelter off around there. So that's the first thing I would do, just lay the land, I guess. What about you? Probably, uh, man. I'm probably gonna be hungry, but that's. I don't know. It's it, it's like like we talked about in the hunting scenario the other day. It seems like it takes you about three days to get keen to your senses and where 
where deer are, where small game are, where all mm-hmm. this other stuff would be. So I feel like trying to get food immediately would be not a not a productive effort. Like I, I just don't I think it think would be. So. And but like you said, building a shelter immediately would be also dumb because you're going to build it and then you're going to be half a mile away from where you really need to be for all your resources. So probably water. I'd probably try to find water first. And then I'd immediately after that, try to establish a fire because whether it depends what time of the year, but insects away fires amazing. And Mm. you could boil water if you needed to, but I plan on having my purification bottle. So not a problem for me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. See, well, that's kind of where I went with, with with the pan instead of just the, the the live straw or the purification bottle, whatever you're going to bring, is because with the pan you can boil water, but you could also use cook. it to cook. And like, yeah, you could cook it on a hot rock, I guess, or just hang it over the fire. But that would almost be like a like like a middle break. I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I actually have yeah. a utensil used to cook something that kind of reminds me of everyday life back home. Of of home, reminds me of home. Yeah. A little more simpler times. So once you got to lay the land and you got your water, you built your shelter, what would you focus on for food wise? Would you be more of a hunter gatherer where you're just kind of scouting, maybe looking for some berries, depending on what time of year, what year it is, or would you focus more on actually fairy critters? Well, God made my palate not being a gatherer's palate. I can't eat vegetables. <laughs> you I, say I, that. I know, dude. I think about it sometimes. I'm like, what would it really take? How hungry would I have to be where I'm like, mm, I'll eat an onion. Like, pretty hungry, dude. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> pretty hungry. For people who don't know, Christian and onions are like, they're they're like the opposite of yin and yang, right? Because I remember a lot of times we'd run through McDonald's whenever McDonald's was cheap. And he'd be like, hey, I want, you know, a McDouble, no onions, no pickles, all that crap, whatever you don't like. And if it would have those little bitty, like, minced up onions in it. Can't stand them. He wouldn't eat it. It's, it's disgusting. So, yeah. So, what do you think it would take for you to, like, you say that, but I feel like at that point, like, you know, you got to think of, of the mindset. Like, hey, I'm not going to have anything else to eat. So, if you see a, a wild onion there, just ready for, ready for the picking if they even have freaking wild onions up there i don't know this is how dumb we are jake but. i swear to god it would take double digit days for me to <laughs> no eat it would not i swear to you the the mindset something would change where no where, where you would eat that onion and you'd be like and it'd be like eating a freaking orange dude i promise you it wouldn't i promise you <laughs> like no way i promise my stomach would be like <clears throat> and I'd, I'd be like no not an onion okay so so what's the first thing you would do because you're hungry, your stomach's growling, you know, you're can't think of really anything else except food. Yeah. I what think, I think, um, snares would be uh, small game would be your first, my first, uh, Avenue. So I know that you can take, uh, there's a certain type of trap. That's pretty interesting. It's like a, you take, you prop up a rock and then you take a stick and you use that stick to prop up a heavy rock and you can rub like I know a lot of folks have used like peanut butter and stuff on these survival shows. You could put like any jelly or jam if you found a fruit, you know, and just rub it on there. That's one way. Because what happens is rodents or small game come and they hit it over and the rock smashes them. You think that's one? Just, a, just a, a, a strawberry tree with jars of jelly? There might be a, a, a berry. <laughs> Tell, <laughs> yeah, you walk kidding. far enough, you're going to find a berry. So 
something sweet, you know, and maybe, heck, dude, maybe I'll get hungry enough where I'll eat a berry myself. But that and then uh, snares for like rabbits and that sort of stuff. I'm not a small game connoisseur, so I don't, I don't know exactly. I feel like I'd have more success on the, on the rabbit or on the uh, stick fall over method than I would a snare, but that would, that would be my short term goal. And then my long term goal would be to find something that uh, is a little bit bigger and more sustaining because you need fat, dude, you can't survive just on protein. That was one of the issues that Jordan was running into on that show alone was he was literally, he had all the meat he could want from killing a moose, but he was starving because he didn't, wasn't getting enough fat and enough calories because meat mm. is not super calorically dense. You know, like you can eat a lot of meat, be super satiating and full and not be eating a lot of calories. See, so, that's, that's something I like, that would be a good segue into something else I want to discuss later on in this podcast. But for now we'll, we'll, we'll hold off on, on, on the, how far you use the body, right? Because just the meat sooner or later, we're going to segue into that. But, uh, so, so you would, you would venture. So that's what you're saying. You would set these rock traps and then what would you do? Like I check them every day, every day. Okay. So what would fast. you do in the meantime for, I'd be for fasting. Yeah. <laughs> I would rock, I would try to eat some, some sort of wild berries. The issue is, is going to be identification. I have no idea what's poisonous and what's not. And I'm telling you, my diet now is probably 50% carbs, 20% fat, 30% protein. So I have no idea what I would do to fill those carbs. I know I would be getting headaches from lack of carbs. And so that would be it for me. I'd be protein and fat on the way out on out there. And I think that could be one of my downfalls in a situation mm-hmm. like this is not eating stuff that I don't want to eat. You see, that's, that's where I would, uh, I would think I would try to differ like anything that I would think is edible. So if this was 200 years ago, if I was born 200 years ago, I'd be one of the first ones to die because I would be like, Oh, Hey, uh, I'm going to eat this berry because I need to eat something. And then I'd end up croaking over. But that's that being said, I feel like almost any berry, right? Like granted, I'm not like a, like a plant biologist. Yeah. Or or anything like that. But wouldn't you think that like, it would take a significant amount of berries to, to kill somebody to actually poison them. So with that being said, what harm would it do? So if you had, so I have a lighter, so I would have water, right? So it, if there was a lake of some sort, I could hydrate myself. What harm would it be to try out certain types of berries in a small amount? And if you get sick, you know, you don't just absolutely gorge yourself where you're just like immensely sick. You take a small amount, you puke it up for the most part, like that's, that's out of your system or you could have diarrhea and then that would potentially cause like dehydration. But if you have water there for dehydration, now obviously you're burning a lot of energy doing that, but that would be my take on it is to try to see what I absolutely cannot eat and what I can't eat. And I would kind of test that at first while I still have that storage and it's like the fat storage and it's still somewhat like early where I'm not like, you know, lost X amount of body fat. And then I'm trying to eat this stuff. I would try to find out what I can eat, what I can't eat and go from there. And I guess I'd have a hunter gatherer, start but then i would kind of do what you said with the fishing line i would have a different approach than just the rocks i think with the fishing line 
granted, I guess it depends what type of fishing line you bring, but I think I would try to make certain snares out of the fishing line. It, I don't know if it would hold. They would probably chew the, chew the line super quick or something like that, but I would test that out. That way I'd have something almost working for me. Like, I guess you'd call it like passive income in, in a certain extent. Like Investing. you have something working for you while you're actually doing that. And I think if your shelter and your water is good and you obviously have fire because I have a lighter, that would be my only focus is just food at that point. That's a fair point. What would your long-term, obviously you're going to have to have some long-term meat because a fish here, a fish there, a rabbit here, a rabbit there is not going to do you for a good amount of time or help you develop any long-term food storage like smoked meat, jerky, anything like that. Which I have no clue how to do. <laughs> yeah. What would you, did you say you'd bring a bow? Yes. So what would your, what would your strategy be on big game? Because obviously you're going to start with small game better maybe more availability let's say you're in the canadian wilderness you have caribou you have some sort of deer you have moose like what you how much of your energy you're going to spend trying to chase something like that well i think after i stockpot like obviously berries would be dependable like on how how quickly they go bad and and you just can't eat them anymore but if I had a safe amount where I knew like, Hey, if I'm not successful on this hunt, I could come back and eat berries. At least I won't like absolutely starve. After I kind of had a little stockpile or something or a good little patch of berries that I know I could go to and the snares were out, which you would check frequently on the lay of the land, you could kind of go track wise or maybe sign or scat or whatever, what all would be there to hunt big game, kind of like you were saying, that sustainable meat that you could actually somewhat preserve if you had the know-how to do. And that's what I would do. I'd just start with tracks and see what's what's in the area and then go from there and try to make a game plan. And sooner or later, I think after living there for enough time, you could kind of get the lay of the land where <clears throat> you would possibly think of things like, is my camp in the right spot? Be like meaning you don't want to set up camp right where you would probably be hunting. Right. Because you don't want to, and a, bl a blunt statement, you don't want to shit where you, where you eat. Right. Fair. So that would be one of the things like, is my, is my camp too close to where I hunt where it could, you know, on the wrong wind where my hunting would suck if, you know, I was just, back at camp or whatever, or the home base, whatever you want to call it. I know it's a lot easier said than done, but yeah, that, that would be my focus. Just basically see what's in the area and then just be an opportunist. And that's something that I think would be weird if you were to take it like on how the average person hunts today, right? Like in that sort of scenario, you would kind of, you, you would almost want to be an opportunist to, to like, it didn't matter what it was, you know, if, let's say if it was a whitetail, whether it be a buck, a doe, a fawn, fawn. a freaking yeah, literally, you, you would take opportunity of that because you needed it, you wanted it to survive. And then if you flip that with today, it's like, obviously a fawn days, that's a, you know, we're an advanced doing. society, probably shouldn't be shooting a fawn. Right, and I s agree with that, I don't care what, what day and age it is. And I've shot my fair share, probably more than my <laughs> fair share. <laughs> the Hunter's Advantage podcast is powered by Out on a Limb Manufacturing. Out on a Limb is a family-owned company based right here in Oklahoma that makes tree stands, saddle platforms, climbing sticks, and so much more. Christian, I have a quick question. What's that? What might sound harder, a hippo or an alligator? No idea. 
is a trick question. The Ridge Runner 2.0 bites harder than both of them. But all jokes aside, we use these products all across the land on public or private. These help us get into any tree we want and hunt where the deer actually are. Most men go to the grocery store for their meat, but these products help you go to God's grocery store. I have used the Out on a Limb Ridge Runner 2.0 and the Shakar Sticks for the last few years hunting public land bucks, and I've actually shot several bucks out of this setup. If you want to support the podcast and get some Out on a Limb equipment, make sure to go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 for 10% off at checkout. Once again, if you want to support the podcast, Go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 at checkout for 10% off. Now let's get back to the podcast. To kind of bring just this little segment full circle is like, you know, feeling a doe tag today is just like, eh, you know, I'm feeling a doe tag. That would be it. Uh, You know, I got some cool footage next, you know, where's the big buck. But there, it wouldn't matter if it was, you know, a 160 or, you know, just a itty-bitty old doe. You'd be just as happy, and you'd just be like, I just did something. Now, granted, it was with a, uh, it was with a longbow instead of an uh, air gun, but, you know, it is what it is. You know what I think about is I don't think, like, a native or someone that would be hunting this way – would even consider the rack as like a higher form of trophy. I think it would be a higher form of utility. It'd be like, right. oh, I can create 10 knives because blade, like knife uh, handles out of 10 points. So the more points, the more utility. And the more main beam, the more utility. The bigger the rack, the more utility. It's not right. about, because the, the, to be honest with you, when you're eating it and you're using it for a different purpose of creating other things, I don't think you would look at it the same way because a rack would be a tool, not a trophy. They're not going to throw that trophy over the top of the camp and be like, "Yeah, I got a, a 160." They're going to they're the fr- they're going to be like sawing it up with a Clovis point. Like, <laughs> let's make more knives. You know what I mean? Can yeah. you imagine watching well, a bunch of natives hacking on a 160 inch rack to make tools? I mean, that's what's that's another thing that's uh, like what's different about today, right? How much of the deer we actually use, right? Because if you go there in that native camp or whatever scenario you want to be in almost everything i mean i don't know what they do with like the rib cage bones or whatever because i haven't dug too deep into that but you know like kind of like you said with the horns and a lot of people do uh on those shows ate like certain organs a either because of fats or vitamins or something along those lines that that, that could benefit people but now you know today like hardly anyone i think honestly takes the heart and cuts it up and eats it the fur or the yeah the the hide people skin it and it goes in the nearest dumpster or ditch or wherever you throw your stuff and then you know it'd be used to i don't know make clothes shoes gloves if it's winter time i i don't know what it'd be used for but just just things get used differently and i don't know i don't know did you already say your game plan on the uh on the big game. There's only one game plan, baby. Knock it and rock it. That's <laughs> that was my game plan. Spend as few calories as I could to kill the biggest animal possible. And you're gonna hopefully you come on this trip practice because I don't want to be using none of my long bolts, my, my arrows practicing. So I don't know. I would just 
I just try to be a woodsman. If I found an area that I could sit and stock, I think spot and stock would be somewhat usable, but you got to think it from a calorie perspective. You wouldn't want to be burning a ton of calories like walking. So I'd want to find an ambush point and maybe make a blind or sit above something and try to hunt it that way. That would be my strategy. Find a good funnel and we'll sit and wait. So you do more of the boots on the ground type scenario. I mean, you'd, you'd have to, but... No, i get on Onyx. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be my strategy for big game. I'd be an opportunist, though. It wouldn't, regardless of rack size, regardless of species i'm not worried about tags and this is a this is a interesting conversation too they're not they're back then 200 years ago 250 years ago they're not thinking about conservation of the animal they're thinking about conservation of themselves mm-hmm. so if you if you said hey this is the last white-tailed fawn that's ever existed on earth somebody that's starving is going to say well, now they're extinct. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that is what's going to happen because it's preservation of self over everything else. Whereas today we have a conservation model that is focused on conserving the animal. We are in such a good place with our food systems and our technology that we are focused on conservation. That even being able to focus on conservation is a privileged place because these people are not focused about that in any way, shape, or form. Or at least I wouldn't be. I definitely wouldn't be. Would you? I mean, we're about eating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thank God we have the uh, conservation movement that we have today. I mean, because obviously we're on. We're not all in this scenario, right? But do you think there would be any trophy hunting? Would you I mean, be doing any trophy hunting? That's that's what's crazy about today is that's that's all we. We, we strive all the keyboard war- warriors that are on all the online forums and especially freaking TikTok, you know, saying a five and a half, a five and a half, like 150 or 160 isn't good conservation management. That's, I don't care who you are, five and a half is a trophy by itself. A 160 is a trophy by itself, regardless of age. Regardless of that, back a few hundred people or I don't know, probably two people ago. What's that Joe Rogan joke like <laughs> yeah. two people ago? He said, he said, 300 years wasn't very long ago. He was like, that's like three people ago. It's true. Yeah. So basically what we're trying to say is that it wouldn't matter like like what it scored. Like you, you wouldn't be thinking of it in that terms. And it, and, it, and it's crazy to see how far it's come, right? Like like how how privilege we are as a society to actually worry about like oh hey i'm gonna try to kill this one specific deer this year you know and we pass up all the does you know we set out corn that we use our hard-working money to try to bait certain deer that only come out it seeming seems like at night that we want to harvest and we pass up on all these does and sometimes a little smaller bucks depending on what neighbor you are and uh yeah we go from there and if you put that person that's you know, trying to get a scrap of meat at, you know, let's say in the Canadian wilderness, you put them in that scenario and it's just like, dude, like, what are you doing? Stupid of you. So we got basically the easier said than done uh, steps we would take to quote unquote survive out in the wilderness. Um, So with all we talked about, Christian, how many days do you think you would survive? Realistically. Canadian wilderness. 
How many arrows do I have is the real question. Let's say you got a dozen arrows. Dozen. I like to think that I would survive like more than 60 days, but Jordan, the dude on alone, was such a hard dude, and he survived, I think, like 100 or something like that. Um, I'd like to think multiple months, but you know, when you're out there, I think the psychological battle of being alone, having to hunt for absolute everything, it would be hard to survive more than a few weeks. I, I, I think the average person is leaving it within a week, to be honest with you. I think I think I might be one of those people just 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 mentally because I I need I think we all need people but I think mentally like I'd be checked out by like the first 3 or 4 days and I think that would come back and bite me like I would like to think I'm a strong-willed individual but the second that you know something something goes wrong that's like a I don't know my my freaking shelter gets flooded out or I'm wet and I'm cold you know, flies away one night and I'm just sitting there all PO'd. I'm like, you know, I want to click that SOS button and get the hell out of there. So I really think that I would be probably a week, maybe 10 days. And, and realistically I'd be out you unless I was just had a crazy different mindset. Or you had like a why they're like, if you can survive 80 days, if there's money on the line, if there's money on the line or if like, you know, your family's hanging off cliff last survive, you know, family gets pulled up. Just like, okay. So I'll survive. Let's bring this full circle. We long winded about the survival. What's the moral of the story. If you had to, Mm. if you had to bring it all for full circle. So this is, this is where it gets a little bit like a fine line that I keep catching myself on. Got to play both sides of the fence. You do have to play both sides of the fences today. Right. So, the conservation model we have today is much needed, right? I like, I like having big bucks on camera. I like chasing big bucks, right? And there's a certain point where you get to that. I'm not saying I'm just a freaking absolute big buck killer, but some of the, the hundred inch one ten range bucks don't really excite me near as much. I'm probably not going to shoot on private, especially um, public depends on what time of the year, but we need the conservation rules. We need the methods. We don't need people to shoot fawns, obviously, because we're not in that scenario. But what I think would be good is to kind of take a look back, maybe take a step back on what we really need and what hunting is really about. Right. Because today uh, you have probably the correct terminology for this, but like we're, we're an over-marketed society. Right. Like we have products being shoved in our face. Oh, you need Sunway to be able to be successful. Oh, you need this camera to be successful. Oh, you need, you know, you need the latest saddle hunting gear. Yeah. New bow. Oh my God. New bow. I mean, the only thing you would like probably need to be more successful is like, I don't know, add on a limb gear and like MMT arrows from Exodus. Like that's, that's it. That's, that's the baseline of what you absolutely need to be a big buck killer. But besides that, take all that other stuff, all this other information that we're about to give you in the next month, like, uh, uh, I don't know, like stuff about the eyes, the ears, the taste, all that stuff. Like that's cool to know. That's great to know. But in all honesty, you don't need that. You just need to try to be the outdoorsman, the woodsman that, that, you know, I want to say your ancestors, I sound really hardcore when I say that your ancestors had to have, you don't need the newest bow. You can get it done with a 1970s model bow if you were good enough. So 
I think that's the moral of the story. We try to make it fun. Um, the most interesting way we can to try to put it into perspective might've turned out. We might listen to this back and be like, we're not airing that. We don't know. What's your thoughts? Just freaking enjoy it. Who gives a damn how other people hunt? I mean, we would hunt a whole lot differently if it was 200 years ago. But I think one thing I do admire today is people don't have to hunt today. So when people do, I would just question and not question. I would just think about it in terms of people are doing it. I hope people are doing it for their enjoyment and for the right reasons. And it's not just something to do for people. And I think there are folks that it's a cultural thing and you just do it because it's something to do. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's what hunting means to me, but I hope everybody gets to go out and just enjoy it and quit worrying what other people think. If you had to hunt for, for food, it'd be a lot different. Thank God we don't have to hunt for food these days. Well, if someone gets a second term, we might be hunting for food. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're one election away from hunting uh, for food, it sounds like. Or buying our food from China, which you're probably already doing. But China. Anyways, enjoy it. And don't make it. Don't overcomplicate it. It didn't used to be what it is today. You don't need new gear. Go out there and have some fun. That's what I would say. All right. So before we leave this episode, we're going to play you the Deer Science Months trailer. This is going to be in front of all of the episodes we release over the next few weeks, actually four weeks. So with that, here comes Deer Science Months. Hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome to Deer Science Month. The goal of this series is to break down the science behind the different senses of a white-tailed deer to make us better hunters. We're going to be talking to some of the best deer biologists across the country about topics like deer vision, smell, hearing, taste, and we'll even throw in cool topics like does culling deer actually work? The difference between CWD and EHD, and we'll talk about some GPS collar research. So anything you want to know about deer science and biology, hopefully we're going to cover it in this series. All right, thanks for listening to this wonky episode about Canadian plane crashes, hunting culture, what we would do in a survival scenario. Next week is Deer Science Month. We're kicking it off strong. So we will catch you guys in that episode. Bye. Jesus loves you. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.